Okay, folks, and welcome back to the Blue Light Podcast. I'm Brendan from Blue Light, and this is the only place you need to be to learn all you need to know about the police recruitment process. So today I've got a very special podcast for you. It's a a longer one than normal. It's one hour and 10 minutes long. Why is it so long? Well, it's a recording of a webinar I did recently with retired Superintendent Shabnam Chowdhury from the Metropolitan Police. And during this webinar, Shabnam described her inspiration to join the police, the highs, the lows, the challenges that she faced the messages that she'd pass on to her younger self and indeed the messages that she'd pass on to you as potential recruits or for those of you who are serving. Uh, Quite frankly, what she had to say was inspirational and that's why I want to share this with you today. So pin your ears back, folks. Longer than normal, find somewhere comfortable to sit or maybe break it into two parts. I'll leave that up to you, but it's about one hour and 10 minutes be prepared to be inspired. So welcome everyone to this uh, Blue Light, another Blue Light webinar uh, in conversation with, and I'm delighted to invite, uh, sorry, to have here on this webinar, uh, Shabnam Chowdhury, uh, recently retired, <laughs> like the wave, uh, recently retired uh, Metropolitan Police uh, Superintendent here in here in a kitchen with her cup of tea. So welcome Shabnam, and so good of you to uh, join us this evening. And for everyone, uh, please do take advantage of the chat function. Uh, there's a, I'm just pressing it up now. So uh, you've got the opportunity to ask questions. Uh, there's also a chat room, and I can see that there's, wow, there's an awesome number of you who are actually just joined us straight away. So to everyone who is joining us this evening, welcome, welcome. I know some of the names I looked at, you know, who's attending, I recognize some of the names. Uh, Josh is saying, evening all. Good, good evening all. Uh, Alison's saying hello from Aberdeen. So I encourage you to utilize the chat function, introduce yourself, say who you are, where you're from, uh, but also utilize it to ask questions uh, because although this is in conversation with Shabnam, um, I've got some questions lined up. It's really important that you get the opportunity as well to ask questions um, and don't hold back. We were talking about this before when we Shabnam. Don't hold anything back and, you know, any question is a good question. So um, Shabnam, what's it just... Share with us, what's it like to be retired now? Now you've left the service after 30 years. What's it like well, to be retired? First of all, thank you so much for uh, inviting me on your uh, webinar. Um, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, what's retirement like? It's far exceeded my expectations, if I'm completely honest. I had no idea how I would feel. Um, I love the job uh, right up until the very last day, um, despite the roller coaster ride that I had. Um, and... I thought I'm nearly a year down the line now, so I'll be a year on the 4th of December. And I thought that at some point I would miss, you know, the job. I did miss it. There was just a couple of things I missed, literally. One was my night duty as a superintendent. I hated it any other time in my service. And the other was my weekend on as a superintendent. And probably from an arrogant perspective, more because of the fact that I felt like I was responsible for paying London. And I felt that... kind of I was the queen of the castle and so those weekends on and those night duties I felt extra special and like a proper proper copper if you like so um but I haven't looked back you know I've been doing a little bit of consultancy work um 
I've done um, loads of articles in recent months um, uh, just to, just to clarify to a lot of people that think I'm getting paid loads of money for this. I don't get paid anything. I do it because I enjoy it. Um, and it keeps um, it keeps me alive, if you like. And I will do some work at some point, but I actually haven't looked back. Um, but then it was 30-plus years in policing. Yeah, I often get asked, you know, um, would you join again? I think, I think, well, no, I wouldn't because I've done my time. <laughs> you know, I've done my three decades in the police service. It's now time, it's my time to do something different and to help in different ways. Um, so, no, I get that. And it's great that you're enjoying retirement. And uh, it's not actually retirement, is it? It's just like doing, doing, doing work in a different way, but perhaps not. Getting- yeah, I don't like the terminology retirement. I'm not retired. I'm a former officer and I am, um, you know, I'm doing bits and pieces. And retirement for me is completely giving up and doing any form of work, you know. So I'm not retired. I'm on a long way off that. A long, a long way off that. Another so- journey. Yeah, so um, the journey, the journey. So what what many people will be interested in is um, where and how did it all start? I mean, it would have been, I'm, I'm not going to reveal your age or anything, but my guess is it would have been in the 80s that when you applied, just doing the math, it's got to be in the 80s at some point, maybe not yeah. late 80s. But so how did it all start? I mean, how did Shabnam one day just wake up and think, you know, please, that sounds like a good thing to do. Let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, I was born in Pakistan. Um, I was 18 months of age when my father put myself and my six then brothers and sisters, we've got a football team now, into um, a van with a mattress on the the, the base of the van and drove across six continents and arrived in the East End of London. Very quickly, when we arrived in the East End of London, we settled in a place called East Ham. My street, where I live, was predominantly white with one black family and one other Asian family. The streets behind us were predominantly Asian. So it was a kind of a fairly mixed community. And so we grew up in, in, in East Ham. And look, you're talking about the 70s, this late 60s, 70s. And I'm proud of my age. I'm 56 years of age. So I'm not bothered about that. And I was a late joiner. Um, and there were issues, you know, even in my community, you know, we were first generation settlers. So being Asian in a, you know, in a British country, there were issues. We had, you know, um, we had our car scratched. We used to get abused racially. We used to have, um, you know, um, fireworks thrown through our letterbox. My father said, you know, you should be grateful that your windows are not broken. Our windows got smashed. But to us, um, it was just the norm. And look, people know that that, that isn't the norm. Um, so literally, when I was eight years of age, I decided that I was going to join the Brownies. So um, I went with my two friends, uh, two little uh, English girls uh, who I was very good friends with from my street. And I got to the brownies and brown owl, she wouldn't let me in. And I genuinely, um, I didn't have my outfit on anyway, because we were from a a big family. We couldn't afford going out and buying brownies outfits for and all the stuff that my family would have wanted, brothers and sisters would have wanted. But she wouldn't let me in. But she did let my two friends in. And I remember saying to her at the time, why can't I come in? This is how... Silly I was, really. I was eight years of age and feisty at eight years of age. And she said, you can't come in. And I said, arrogantly, I said to her, well, listen, I'm the only brownie here. So so I should should be allowed to come in. She literally picked me up and threw me out. I went home and told my mum I was really upset. And my mum slapped me because I disrespected the the lady, the, the, the place. Anyway, she just said to me, look, you can come and teach in the mosque. 
And I thought, great, my friends get to play, I get to teach in the mosque. So from a very young age, I started to teach in a mosque, which actually was fantastic. A really good opportunity to start developing my bossy side from a very young age. Um, so just a couple of things that what inspired me. Um, I guess it was partly to do with the fact that, um, you know, at the age of 15, I was thinking maybe I could make a difference. My mum came home from the mosque one day and uh, she had eggs on her and uh, she used to keep the mosque taken. The kids used to pay money to, uh, and she used to keep the money in a bag. She got robbed. And she told me that she'd got robbed and, um, you know, she was obviously very upset. She'd had a couple of scratches and so on. They'd also abused her and so on. And for two days, she stayed at home. And then on the third day, I come downstairs at four o'clock after, after school, whatever, and she's putting on a pair of trainers. And I said, oh, they're nice trainers, Mum. She said, they're Nike. I said, Mum, they're not Nike, the British home stores. She goes, I said, where, where are you going? She said, I'm going to the mosque. I said, Mum, you can't go to the mosque. You got, I don't care. I can run. I got my trainers. Nobody's going to stop me from doing anything. And it was exactly sort of in that sort of accent. And I remember thinking, wow, that's some inspiration. She's, you know, doesn't speak brilliant English. Um, we're settled in the UK. She teaches in a mosque and um, she's not going to be letting anybody or anyone stand in her way. So that was just one incident that made me realise that perhaps, you know, 15 years of age, whichever, um, that, you know, there's definitely more to life and maybe there's something I can do. And one day I come home from school or from work and my mum had this car and she's painting this car and she's painting it silver with house paint. <laughs> I said, mum, what are you doing? I'm painting the car. And I said, for what? She said, I don't like the colour, I like silver. I said, Mum, the cops are going to stop you, you can't. And they did stop us, actually, and they were lovely, the police officers. They said to us, what colour is your car? What's your registration number? And my mum tried to explain as best as she could. And I said, look, I'm sorry, officer, my mum painted the car, she didn't like the colour. And they said, you can't paint the car, love. He said, you can't. So anyway, they forgave us and it, it was all good. And... And then just one more thing that really sealed the deal for me that I was going to join policing. My mum was the worst driver in the world. Uh, passed her test after nine attempts. After her ninth attempt, she goes down to the next street. She starts giving lessons to all the women in the street. And I'm saying to mum, you know, you can't, you can't even drive. <laughs> You've crashed the car. You know, and then she'd say, I'm ditching, I'm charging one bond. <laughs> so, <laughs> all the women in these streets were basically learning to drive and suffice to say every single one of them failed their driving test <laughs> after <laughs> giving her driving lessons and so she gave that and she just basically she inspired me to want to join the police service so when I got to 18 um, I just felt there was something more I could do I had you know quite an outgoing personality um, and so I started to apply for the police at 18 and a half years of age I remember going to the training college um, Definitely was interested in it. I'd worked in a menswear shop. I had a real knack for catching credit card fraudsters. Mm -hmm. They would, um, I'd get a 50 quid reward every time I, I copped a credit card um, and called the police before I'd even called the credit card company. So the cops used to say to me, Shabnam, you've got to join the police service. So it kind of went from there. And the problem I had was my family because um, my mum wanted me to get married. My father wanted me to get married, one of five daughters. Um, and it wasn't the done thing for a Muslim girl to be 
joining the police service. We weren't allowed to wear skirts back then. Um, I didn't tell them that was my dream. Then they started bringing suitors to the house over a period of two years. They came round in every shape, size, age, 40, 50, fat, tall, bald, short, no teeth, no hair. And the last straw really was when my mother called me down the stairs one day and uh, I said, I'm not coming down. She said, you've got to marry him. I said, why? I said, mum, he's 40. Look at me. He can't, he can't even smile. He's got no teeth. So basically, in a nutshell, um, she said I had to marry him because he had a green Mercedes. And uh, I didn't marry him. I rebelled for two whole years. Uh, but the journey into policing wasn't so easy. Um, four attempts, seven years later, um, I was too young. I was too skinny. I needed to go away and put on um, some weight. I needed to go and get a job. I joined the specials, which was fantastic. Um, I worked for McDonald's. Um, I went and did all the things that policing asked of me. And then in 1989, um, I was finally accepted into the Metropolitan Police. I can tell you it was probably the happiest day of my life. And um, then I had to tell my parents that I was the only girl in the whole of the Met Police that was wearing trousers. Um, and I lied. So basically, I bought some trousers from British Home Stores and um, wear them to work, then get to work, change into a skirt and police Beth McGreen uh, Borough, which was probably the best time I've ever had in my in my journey uh, from a young age, basically. Awesome. What an awesome story. And, um, you know, to keep going like that, you know, in the face of too skinny, too young, with life experience and eventually like, no, no, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and, and, and there you go, you're in. And then sort of, I mean, we, I'd love to talk about all, the, all of the 30 years after that, but I suppose um, the question I'd ask is, um, in, in all those 30 years then, what, what would you say is the one thing that was the like, amazing high for you, uh, the thing that made you really, really think, yeah, the thing that you're proud of, the thing that you're most proud of, the biggest high for you, uh, throughout your career oh god you know what there's so many highs people often ask me the question you know what were your highs in policing you know it's, it actually wasn't you know getting through promotion it wasn't about getting through you know the um the lateral progression you know I wanted to be a detective from day one and I was going to be a detective so you know that ambition I managed to fulfil. I think one of the highs in my journey was even as a detective inspector, um, we had an allegation of um, potential forced marriage, um, and and literally um, the girl had come in. Uh, it was a girl. She'd been taken to India. Um, she had a boyfriend. She'd failed her A levels. Um, her parents had found out she had a boyfriend, and that she'd also failed her A levels. Took her to India on the pretext that she was seeing a grandmother. And this boy um, came to the police for support. And back then, we didn't really understand a lot about, you know, the cultural different difficulties that some of the communities have, whether it's forced marriage, arranged marriages, you know, um, honour-based violence, FGM, all that sort of thing. And something in me, because of my background, told me that there was definitely more to this. So with the support of the Foreign Office and getting the father in, practically threatening him in a diplomatic way um, we found out that the girl had been um, locked in a room in India and she'd been beaten quite severely over a period of time her marriage was going to be imminent 
and um, we had to get the embassy involved. We managed to get her driven away 200 miles from the embassy and um, we managed to protect that girl and we brought her back to the UK safely. That's probably one of my highs, which is really, when I think about it, you know, I was an undercover officer for many years. You know, I worked up in the West Midlands. I worked all across London. I was, you know, infiltrated into banks in, you know, different parts of the UK doing some of the jobs I did, which is a really sexy side of policing, <laughs> fantastic highs. But I think it's that I saved someone from something that could have happened to me or many of my friends um, back then. And now I'm talking about 2003. So that's just one thing that always sticks in my mind. Yeah. Wow, so interesting. I mean, one of the things I find with police officers is, uh, and myself as well, is that you ask that question about the thing that you're proud of. And like you say, there's all these Gucci things that you've done, you know, all these amazing things that you've done and promotion or specialist positions. And, and, and yet sometimes it just narrows down as that, that, that one thing, that one incident with that one person where there was a difference. And it's funny how you just never forget those things. Um, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had some you know, some great investigations. They've actually, I've got um, a documentary coming out, not on on me, but on a cold case investigation that I'd done back in the back in the 90s, actually. And even that was another one that sticks in my mind. And I was able to tell the story from my perspective, because again, it was about, you know what cops are like, you know, they're like a dog with a bone. If they know they've got their suspect, they'll mm-hmm. go all out to go and bring that person to justice. And then when they see what happens to the victim, they want to do right. And that's the vast majority of policing, uh, in my personal opinion, anyway. No, I think I'm with you on that as well, that, you know, when it's hard to describe, isn't it, at the moment where you listen to the tears and the heartache and the, the people at their lowest ebb. And yeah. you're the person who's between them staying at that lowest ebb and finding a way out sometimes. And, you know, that is a, you know, for me, it's, a, it's an honour, it's a privilege, it's... That's why it's the best job in the world. <laughs> best job in the world. But even even the best job in the world then comes with um, some lows. So um, before we go to some questions from, uh, I can see the chat room so lively at the moment, which is just awesome. Um, what, what would you say one of the lows was for you? And um, importantly, how did you how did you manage that low? Um. I think one of the biggest lows in my journey was um, being subjected to negative national media. Um, back in 1999, I initiated a complaint. Um, I won't go into great detail about it, but in a nutshell, um, I felt some officers um, had made some very negative comments about Muslim people. This was a year that uh, the Lawrence um, McPherson report labelled the organisation institutionally racist. Um, and there was lots that needed to be done. So they introduced community race relations training. I'd just gone as a newly promoted detective sergeant to Loughton, which was part of the Met at the time. And I arrived there and I literally within a space of four months, things went were very, very horribly wrong. Um, and there was, um, I felt isolated. Um, they were pulled me up on my performance very, very quickly, which to be honest with you, at the time I thought perhaps I am crap what I'm doing but actually when I reflected back to it there were people there that for whatever reason didn't want me within the CID office it was very rare to have a woman an Asian woman within the detective arena we're talking 1999 and it was very old school it was very different the banter was different and don't get me wrong I participated in some of that I'm not proud of it but that's how policing was because you just went along with what was 
considered to be, you know, what now is not considered to be appropriate, which is fine. Anyway, years later, uh, the officers that I'd complained about uh, took the organisation to employment tribunal. They won their case. Um, but I got a phone call um, when I was I was a DI at Barkin Dagnan, basically saying that this was going to come out in press. And it was the day that I was taking my nephew into work with me. I was running the case progression unit and we had a big arrest day planned. Mm-hmm. I was doing some interviews, radio, um, local press at Romford and so on. And I took him into work with me. And at five o'clock in the morning, I was on my way to work and I stopped and I picked up a copy of the Daily Mail because I knew it was coming, but I didn't know what was coming. I took a quick look at it, opened it up, and I was mortified because it wasn't just that. It was a picture of me in a provocatively dressed, sort of with a glass of wine, which is totally against my, not my religion, but what my family would have. I was thinking, oh my God, what's my mother going to say? I can't even say it's a glass of Ribena. It looks like a wine glass. It so is. Anyway, that day was the lowest for me because what happened was that um, I went into the custody and I saw a copy of that paper there and I remember trying to grab that paper thinking I've got to not let the custody sergeant see it. And then I thought, what are you doing? There's 50,000 copies out there. Anyway, I went into my office and I shut the door and I read the article and I get upset about it now. I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed of the article. I felt useless. I felt... I just felt totally awful. And I sat in my and then I just thought, you know what, you've got to come out there and you've got to get on with it because I had interviews to do. I was scared that I was going to be interviewed and questioned about it. Actually, I wasn't as important as I thought. The interview went without incident. The day we did was very successful. On the way home, my nephew said to me, um, Auntie Shepman, can I say something? I thought, oh, God, my nephew, he's going to tell me what a shameful article and, you know, he said, your colleagues all read the article. I said, all right. And he said to me, they said, yeah, have you seen Mom Chowdhury in the uh, paper? Oh, it's a shit article, but doesn't she look buff? Lifted <laughs> 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 my spirits like you wouldn't believe. I was so happy. I, did, I, just, wow. ne- I never read the article again until last year. And I started to introduce it into presentations that I give now. Because actually, it's a part of who I am. Mm. I'm not perfect. I don't. I don't profess to be perfect. Bloody hell! I've made some mistakes in my journey, yeah. and I had the good grace, which I would give to anybody, to to accept when I've done wrong, mm. when I need to do better. And I've also looked at knowing when something isn't right, and I've called it out. And I'm never ashamed of that. People think that I've only just started speaking about challenging the organisation. I've challenged them since 1999. And I will continue to challenge because if it makes the service a better place for the thousands and thousands of cops that go to work to protect the public, to do what they love, to be better officers and to be good, hardworking officers as they are, and I can support that, then that's fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, that actually just uh, got me thinking about a question there. And thank you for sharing that. That's just an awesome story, especially, you know, what your fellow officers said. <laughs> the smiles on my face. I mean, this is the stuff that you just you don't capture anywhere else. Um, so there might be a lot of people watching this now thinking, I'm not sure about joining the police, um, no matter what background they're from, because of Black Lives Matter, um, the, 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 the continuing press that calls the police out as being either institutionally racist or there's racist individuals. 
Um, and no matter what background you're from, this may not be the environment that you want to join. But I often say that, you know, this is a story of hope and a, a journey that we're on. And I just wonder what your thoughts are there on racism in the police. Is it the, are the police institutionally racist or is it individual officers or... And, and where are we up to in that journey? A lot of questions, sorry, a lot of questions there, but um, yeah. I'm sure that's the tip of a lot of people's tongues who are watching. Let me give, um, uh, let me talk about institutional racism first of all, okay. People, I remember when the organisation was labelled institutionally racist, I was part of that mm. and therefore I, I, I had to own it too. You know, just because I happened to be an Asian woman, you know, just because I was a cop first, you know, but I was, I didn't want that label. I don't want that label, but there's a big difference. And I think this is where people don't understand the difference between institutional racism and individual racism. So institutional racism in my, uh, my understanding and my experience is that it's not about the people. It's about the systems and processes. Mm -hmm. Now just talk about institutionally internally. For example, when you talk about discipline, um, uh, I've just had a report today sent to me, actually, by the Times newspaper. Um, but basically, um, the, the uh, disproportionate number of investigations against black and minority officers, the disproportionate outcomes against black and minority uh, officers, that isn't the fault of the frontline cops. That's the fault of the systems and processes that are in place. Back in the day, promotion processes were heavily weighted towards white, middle-aged white men, generally, and things had to change because the processes that were that they had were there was a lot of nepotism and now processes are far much you know m much fairer uh, now but there are still some issues around systems and processes that the organization are looking at that they need to look at to make sure that there's a fair, fair and level playing field for everybody people think i got promoted straight away and i happened to get through because i happened to be asian and, and female I failed my inspectors and got it the second time, quite rightly so. My chief inspectors, three attempts. Out of that, I can tell you now, one of those was unfair, but I swallowed it and carried on. My superintendents, three attempts. I shouldn't have even gone for the first one, probably, because I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't make me, um, you know, eligible for promotion just because I have to be female. I still have to get through. There are There's a process called... Um, positive action to the point of selection and a lot of officers don't like it because it makes it look as if Asian and black and white and uh, uh, females are all being given preferential treatment what they do is they put them into a program and so many still fail that process I failed that process by doing the positive action sets so that's the difference between institutional racism now let's talk about individual racism we can't pretend that of an organisation with 30,000 plus officers that you don't have officers within there that, that are racist. Of course there are. It's pretty much as there are in the NHS, pretty much as there are in all walks of society. The vast majority of officers that I get to speak to and that I've worked with over the years, they don't want to work with people like that. They don't want to work with people that are racist or sexist or you know, uh, call it out around whether it's your, you know, the protected characteristics. Mm -hmm. So we can't pretend that the racist officers don't exist because they do. And I think that it's, it's, no, um, it, it's no walk in the park 
to 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 have that. And I just come on to the Black Lives Matter and the George Floyd. You know, this has been a tough year for policing, for communities, the COVID. You know, people talk about the Black Lives Matter. There's a difference between Black Lives Matter movement and there's a difference between Black Lives Matter and policing and, you know, taking of the knee and so on. Um, all of those, you know, there's so much conversation around it. And then there's a huge issues around stop and search, which we have had lots of conversations about. I totally advocate stop and search. You know, if there's one tool that must continue, it's stop and search. But there are issues around how some officers behave. Not all. And it's a, a minority, but it's only the minority that spoil it for the majority. And they've got to get that right. So, you know, do I think people get racially profiled through stop and search? I think that what happens is people do it on purpose. I think that they've got this thing in their head that I'm in an area which is predominantly, there's lots of drugs and so on. And I'm in an area where predominantly black people. So you automatically make that judgment, which I think is, you know, you've got to, you've got to continue it, but you've got to, watch your behaviours, your culture, and you've got to think about how you um, present yourself. You know, are you going to have have a conversation? And people say, oh, it's easy for you, you're a superintendent. Actually, I was doing soft and search as a superintendent on my nights, on my weekends, on stuff like that with my officers. But I'm not great at any in terms of the filling up the forms and so on. But I do advocate it. And I think that these are the issues that officers are facing at the moment. And they are real challenges but I am seeing more and more on social media and social media is that much of the wider policing family um, that officers want to, to work with people that get it right, that are professional, that do do a good job, that do go out there to catch the bad guys. Cause that's what we're there for, isn't it? To catch the bad guys. Yeah, ultimately. Um, so some interesting that, especially around um, the majority of officers do want to work in that kind of professional environment. So, there's there's the wisdom of years and there's the wisdom of three decades in the police. For those who first join the service, who may, you know, you, you, I've seen it myself. They sort of get subsumed, they sort of get taken in by the by a culture and things that they previously thought they might have challenged, they let slip. So, what what message would you send to people who are just joining now or thinking about joining in terms of that? I sometimes hear the word challenging inappropriate behaviour, but challenge sometimes I think is a little bit too assertive, maybe a little too, a little too aggressive. I don't know. How, how, would you, how would you, what advice would you give to those who are joining now or who are thinking of joining about tackling and dealing with those, those sort of um, issues as they face them, as they're bound to face them, they're going to, no matter they what else they're doing? Yeah, definitely they are going to. Um, and you look, policing's got younger and younger. Uh, and so that in itself is a challenge for, 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 you know, for communities and for policing that, you know, officers and so on. And I'm not, not that's not criticism of young people. Mm-hmm. That's just saying that policing has got younger and younger. So your life experience are less, um, but you will bring something to the table. There is no question about that. What I'd say, um, look, first thing is people think that the minute you say to someone, hang on a second, that's not right. It doesn't mean to say you go running to the boss about it. You call it out, you nip it in the bud. You say, listen, I'm not putting up with that. And I'm not going to be party to that. And that's not always easy when you're a newly fledged officer 
you know, I've got a nephew who's just joined in the last year and he's told me a couple of things and he said, oh, I didn't want to call it out. And I said, but you've got to, because if you don't call it out, then it's going to allow people to fester and continue. And you are the change that policing needs to see. And I'm not talking about the colour of the person. I'm talking about behaviours. And so it's difficult sometimes to challenge because you're new and you want to be impressionable. And I know that. But I think it's really important not to follow the crowd. I think it's so important to be true to yourself and to have that conversation with somebody and just pull them to one side and say, look, I'll be honest with you, I am new, but I was uncomfortable with what you said. You know, (laughs) you're going to have to deal with the aftermath of that. But if that continues and you know that the person, if it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Mm. And it's difficult to do, but you've got to call it out. You know, and it can be something really minor that suddenly escalates. I've heard some stories recently of female officers are, you know, being inappropriately dealt with in custody suites, you know, by, you know, by, by managers and so on. And they're scared to call it out. And I think it's really important to try and have a conversation with somebody to try and make sure that you're in a happy, safe and uh, good environment. Because if there are police officers, and like I say, it's in the minority that are behaving inappropriately, they are 100% behaving inappropriately out there on the streets. Yeah. So that would be my thing. And accept feedback. You know, my bold, old boss used to say to me, I've never known anyone to accept feedback like you do. Probably because I've been pulled up for so much crap over the years. I've always thought that I'm going to walk into the boss's office and get into trouble. But the fact is... Feedback helps you to develop and helps you to become a better person, I think. Mm-hmm. And I have had to reinvent myself in the past because I've had to look at my own behaviours. You know, back in 2011, way I, you know, was walking around with a chip on my shoulder because I thought everybody was out to get me when actually they weren't. There's some great people out there. And it changed my whole last nine years of my journey positively. I like that phrase, reinvent you know, I yeah, <laughs> you to reinvent yourself all the time. Um, but I, I, I sometimes talk to many of my clients and those people I support and, and encourage to join the service about, you know, the, the standard that you're prepared to accept is the standard that you're prepared to become. And, you know, I, I'd reiterate that as well. It's so important to um, call it out you know, in your own way. And it's, it's difficult. I've done it. It's difficult. It's the hardest thing I've done in my career is to call out inappropriate behaviour. Um, but if you don't do it, you become part of the problem. Yeah. And it is hard to call it out because you do have to have, you will get some fallout from it. Oh, there will be. There's going to be fallout. But, but, and, you know, mine was different. I was, you know, 1989 and 1999 and policing was very different. It was very different to what it is now. Uh, I'm not saying that they've, They've got it right because I haven't, I'm afraid. They've still got a long way to go. Um, but, um, you know, it, it had a detrimental effect on my journey. But equally, um, I wasn't going to allow that to, to um, you know, stand in my way. Uh, not, not, I'm not talking about promotion. I'm talking about I wanted to serve 30 years, yeah. you know, and that was my ultimate goal was to walk out and stand proud that I actually served 30 plus years in the Metropolitan Police. You know, there's something there I, I often talk about. It's, it's your choice as to whether you resign or retire with honour or you just retire or resign. Yeah. And, uh, it's that 
honourable pride that you can have knowing that you've you might have made some mistakes, but when it's come to you you having to do the right thing in the most uncomfortable situations, you've got that pride of knowing that you've done it. Yeah. And, and uh, well, but, but like you say, mistakes though. Oh my goodness, you know, you're going to make loads of mistakes. Somebody's asked me, how did it affect you mentally? I've just seen that come up. Yeah, I was just about to say, um, you know, because we are like the old salts, if you don't mind, mind using that phrase of policing. Um, but, the, you know, a lot of the people who are watching this who've made comments, I was just going to do some shout-outs and pick out some questions because these yeah. are people who are going to be the change. The, these, You know, I, I joined with people who've been chief constables. Um, uh, Andy Cook from Merseyside was uh, sat next to me in my class at Bruce at the District Training Centre. And now, look, 35 years in, he's still there being the change. Um and so, you know, the, there's, there's names here who I recognise, who I know are actually in service or out of service or uh, uh, almost there. Uh, let's let's do some shout-outs and some questions, if that's okay, because I know that I've just seen one name here. Um, uh, my friend Ben Forbes, uh, sergeant in Essex, should be an inspector by now. What's up, Ben? You should be an inspector by now, but I'm sure you will be soon. But he said, um, it, how respectful, mom shabs. As a fellow Newham member throughout your career, you push barriers and help bring in change around improving diversity in our workforce and engaging with our communities. My question is, and I love this question, what would your one golden piece of advice be to new recruits to continue that? I mean, I kind of links in with what we've just been talking about, but what a great question, Ben. So what golden piece of advice would you give to new recruits or those who are hoping to join the police? Yeah, I mean, I did, um, I had my own Girls Allowed branding um, where we did some external big events and I did the 2014 Time for Change event, which um, was fully supported by the Deputy Mayor of Policing and Crime. It was a diff- uncomfortable conversations with 500 black and minority officers to look at how we could make some changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I set up the diversity directorate within this specialist crime directorate. What I'd say to you is when you come into policing, you, you do your job, you do your day job and do your day job, but take some things outside of your day job. So whether you want to be a diversity champion, whether you want to talk, talk about flexible working, whether you want to be um, changing situations within the CID office that makes it for a better working, you know, you can you can put together some working groups. Um, or if you want to be more involved with communities, you can do that. I did a huge amount of work with communities outside of my superintendent role um, and lots of weekends, lots of evenings and, and lots of it in my my time. But I loved every minute of it because that was a time for me where I felt I could hold my own. I could share my experiences. I looked a lot around domestic abuse within the Newham area because we have lots of uh, minorities that were under reporting and so on. So take things outside of your comfort zone as well. You know, I took some jobs that I'm not saying I was good at them. I was, I was pretty crap at a couple of them. And uh, and, and my boss told me so. Um, but I had a good relationship with them to be able to tell me that I wasn't doing so good in some particular areas. of. It was some of the stuff I did on the Olympics. I'm not, you know, I also did some great stuff. So, um, you know, if you want to be part of that change, then don't sit back and moan about it. Stop complaining about it. Go and be involved in it and go and get it, become engaged in it. Stop moaning about all oh, this, you know. Cop, I hate to tell you this, cops do like to moan yeah. a lot. Yeah. You know, I I just spend so many days, people walk into my office and say, oh, mom, have you got a minute? And I, it's not really going to be a minute, is it? 
And then they'd come in and talk about an issue. And I said, okay, great. What's the plan? What, what do we need to do? What can we do together to try and, you know, to, to try and uh, sort the problem out? So take stuff outside of your comfort zone. Take stuff outside of your day job. Not always easy because, you know, you've got a, still got a day job to do. Um, but be involved in that. So whether it's federation, whether it's staff associations, whether you just want to lead a small team to try and make something a difference in your part of policing. You can't change the world, but you can change the little world that you work in. Yeah, just a little bite-sized chunks. Um, and I like that as well, and that, that idea that you can be something outside of your standard role, whatever that might be, and, and people will know you for that, and um, people will recognise you for that as well, and it, it gives you a sense, I think it gives you a sense of pride as well, that you're doing something that is outside of your, maybe outside of your sphere of influence and really pushing yourself there. Yeah. No, I love that. Thank you. And I'm just looking, you know, there's so many questions here. Um, and everyone who's put something in the chat room, just awesome. And I did say to Shabnam this would be about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, but I suspect we're going to be about an hour, if that's okay. I have no life, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, post please, we have no life. <laughs> um, let's do some shout-outs. So Katerina is saying good evening all over before. Emily Sims, good evening to you. Uh, Chris in Carlisle, about to start my third week in the police. Awesome, Chris. Um, Esther, uh, who's the diversity lead from Maven and Somerset Police. Um, who else have we got? Oh, I wish I could do all the shout-outs. Uh, Alex from Pickering in North Yorkshire. Hey, my neighbour. Um, let's see who else have we got. Sylvia from Thames Valley Police Positive Action Engagement Team. Awesome to have you on board, Sylvia. Uh, and some of the questions. Oh, I wish I could do all the shout-outs. Oh, my friend Shabuj from Liverpool. Um, how's the preparation going, Shabush, for your final interview? Um, lovely to have you on board. And here's uh, our fan as well from North Yorkshire Police, Positive Action, Race, Faith and Belief League. Just a long title we're giving you there, our fan. Uh, but great to have you on board as well. Um, Scottish Women's Development Forum, Claire Hussein. Uh, wow, that's great. Um, uh, well, Alice, Alison Cameron, social media spot for Highlands and Islands the Northeast Divisions of Police Scotland. I'm honoured. <laughs> We've got so many awesome people here. Um, Heather, who's um, in the early stages of training. Um, right, well, we've got so many good questions, and I, I wish I could talk about all of them. Here's one I quite like from uh, Rachel Duncan. What are your views on reverse mentoring, and do you, would you mentor current officers? And how do you deal with imposter syndrome? I don't even know what imposter syndrome is. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel, but um, I like that about reverse mentoring. Perhaps just deal with that, about reverse mentoring. And um... Let me just talk a little bit about mentoring quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, mentoring is what you allow it to be, all right? And I, I'm, I'm still mentoring some officers within the organisation. So since I did the article with the BBC, I've been inundated with some calls and um, I've helped people return back to work that have been off sick for eight months for, for whatever reason, um, who were too scared to go back. So I've helped mm-hmm. manage them to get them back to work. And, uh, and I'm really, really pleased for them because they're just starting to come back into their own again. Um, I had, I've had mentors over the years, uh, um, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But what I actually do now, I have what I call a success team. Mm-hmm. And even now, and a success team will be made up of three or four people. So it could be your um, personal trainer. 
It could be like my brother is a very successful businessman and it will be somebody within policing or external to policing, but quite high up in business or who has a bit of an understanding. And I will go to each of those for something different because everybody brings something different to the table. So if I want to talk about, you know, my mental health and well-being, I'll go and speak to my personal trainer. Somebody asked a question earlier, how did I manage it? Some of it badly. You know, I never went sick throughout all the years on all the issues that I had, and I should have done. I got diagnosed with PTSD in uh, 2017, and I lost a niece at the time. same time, she was only 17, so I was trying to deal with that. I was being investigated, you know, by the DPS for a matter that went nowhere in the end. But all of those things, they mount up, you know, and trying to be, um, you know, newly promoted, um, uh, not newly promoted, but going into my superintendent's process as well. Mm. So it's really important to have different people that can mentor you. If you want a mentor, then find one within policing or one external. I've just done some work with um, Transport for London and they've asked me if I would mentor a couple of their staff. And I've said, yes, of course I will. So I, I'll, I'll do that. And I would say if you do have a mentor, make sure they don't last longer than two years because you become stale. And set the ground rules with them. Don't expect your mentor to become your counsellor. All right. You know, agree a time scale. I'm going to meet with you every three months. But if there's something I really need to talk about, then I'll be in touch with you. They don't necessarily open doors for you, but they will give you some advice. And I will give honest advice and I will give people some home truths. I've had people come to me to say that there's all sorts of issues around, you know, they've been picked on. And when I've actually unpicked it, it's because they've been lazy. It's because... Mm -hmm. They've not been investigating a crime or so many crimes and that somebody else has had to go and do their job. So try and be, accept honest feedback. You know, um, that bit I said to you about not being as important as you think you are. I remember going to see a mentor. She was a commander and she was really good. And, and I was saying to her, oh, you know, all these people, they're out to get me, you know, and they, they're all doing this and they're saying this about me. And then she said to me, Shabnam, she said, who do you think you are? You're not that important. No one really cares. <laughs> Absolutely. So all this thing that was going on in my head, yeah. where I'm thinking that people are out to get me, it's in my head. Don't get me wrong. I didn't trust people, and I was right not to trust many people, but equally there were some really good people out there. What you think is that big actually isn't that big. And people are too busy in the organisation to be sitting there worrying about Shabnam Chowdhury and all her personal issues because actually they've got a job to do. They've got a family to run. They've got their own personal issues. They want to come to work, do their job, and they want to go home. So those little things, I would say, are really, really important. Get yourself a mentor. Two years. Yeah, I love that because there's, you know, I've been there myself thinking that, uh, you know, I'm the centre of attention for something because I've done something wrong or I think I've done something wrong or a little bit of paranoia slips in. And I think there's probably something there about that. That is an early indicator, maybe of PTSD or something like that. I don't think you can go through your career in the police without these, these, these lows, these highs. But I love that idea of a success team, having a success team around you of people who are skilled in different things who, and I love that commander, like Shabnam, <laughs> you know, just. <laughs> Why do you lick him? <laughs> that's happened more than once in my journey let me tell awesome. you that's great so um here's another good question as well i think we could probably just run with a load of good questions here yeah, please do i'll try and answer them short so um so that you can get more questions in well this one's awesome it's from emily who's saying what was your biggest cake fine moment <laughs> what was your biggest cake fine moment 
Oh, God. Probably a few. Um, my biggest cake find moment. Uh, let me think about that. Ask another question and I'll think about that at the same time. Well, it's, uh, Emily's actually a really good question here. It is what, what advice would you give your younger self? You, you may have already done some of that, but if you could, do you know, this is the thing, if you could wind back the clock and just go and have a quiet word with yourself uh, 10 minutes before you walk through the door of Hendon, um, what, what advice would that be? Uh, so the, the first thing I'd say, like I said, don't follow the crowd and call it out if you have to, if, you, if it needs calling out, you know, um, respectfully. Um, and that's one thing I learned about how you actually, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. And I learned after years of threatening to throw people out of windows, but actually that wasn't working, you know. Sometimes you've got to wind your neck in and you've got to try and have a more of a diplomatic and a more of a compromise and negotiate with people. And I learned to negotiate with some really good people that actually helped my life to become easier. So, um, so that's one thing I'd say, except feedback, you know, sometimes be honest with yourself. If you know that you're getting it wrong and your, your line managers are telling you that you're getting it wrong, then Sit down. You know, people say, I don't want an action plan. That's telling me I'm crap. Actually, an action plan. Say, yeah, give me an action plan. Actually, go and speak to your boss and say, I want an action plan for three months. I want to tick all those boxes, get those done, and then move on to the next part of it. So be sort of true to yourself in that respect. And um, the one thing I found with, um, I I managed uh, neighbourhoods at Newham, and I could be completely honest with you. So I had a whole loads of probationers and, and at one time it was like going back to kindergarten because the, the, the problems and the, the issues were, Oh, he's saying this about me and she's saying that about me. And I don't know, blah, 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 you know, all that sort of thing. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, this is what policing is about. So you've got to be professional. When you come to work, you've got to be professional, you know, have the fun, enjoy work, work hard, play hard, but you've got to be professional, you know, and try and, you know, smart the whole, the whole, the whole shebang. Awesome advice. Gosh, that was like one thing, but there's like, I think there's about three or four there, which is still fine. So it's not a 10 minute conversation with your younger self. That was a half hour one, but still, (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, I'm going to answer that if I can, you know, for everyone, because um, I think the one thing that it it took me about 25 years to realise is that I'm rubbish at some stuff. And I probably always will be. And, you know, I, I had this ambition to be a, a, a brilliant bronze commander in the public order world. Honestly, though, I soon worked out that it's not my thing. You know, I, I, it was, I'd hit the point where I was just a bit rubbish at it. Yeah. It wasn't very good. What I was awesome at, though, was community engagement and problem solving in complex situations within communities. So, I started to recognise that, you know, it's okay to have some good stuff that you're really outstanding at, but also recognise the stuff you're rubbish at and you probably always will be. Yeah. Some things, no matter how many times you action plan for it, you, you're not going to – I mean, I'm the most disorganised person ever. I am never going to be organised, and I'm okay with that now. But it's taken me 30-something years to just get my head around the fact that, you know, the, the chief inspector who used to call me Inspector Chaos, he was right. Because <laughs> I had no organisation in me whatsoever, and um, you know, it's it's. I think there's something there about recognising 
as early as you possibly can what you're really good at and focus on that. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah, and trying to not avoid the things you're not good at, but recognise that, you know, some things you will never be good at in the police. And that's just the way it is. Uh, and I, like I said to you earlier, I think it's important to take stuff outside of your comfort zone because you will work out for yourself what you are good at and what you're not so good at. And if you're not good at it, then be true to yourself and say, this isn't working for me. And I'm not going to give you the best, I'm not going to deliver the best service for the public or for my colleagues because I'm not that good at it. And I'm happy to to, to, to accept that. Um, but I am really good at other, you know, you're not going to get to do what you want in policing. You know, I got jobs that I didn't necessarily want. And that's the other side of policing. Don't go in there saying, well, I want to go and do, you know, neighbourhoods or I want to go and be a frontline officer and I want to go and drive a, a, a fast car, um, you know, and be a response driver. Great. You might not get those opportunities. You might have to go and do some of the, the n- mind numbing stuff uh, because that's what policing is about. But when you can do the mind numbing stuff, the world's your oyster. Yeah, it's, uh, it's part of the journey. You've got to, <laughs> you've got to do the scene guards. You've got to do the um, hospital watch. You've, you've, you've got to do um, the stuff that other officers don't want to do. And I yeah. always throw yourself gleefully into it. Yeah. And, um, you know, you will get, then get known as the pers- the go-to person who, you know, I, I think uh, it, I think it was John Sutherland when I did an interview with him, you know, at, at, at Police Commander on Twitter, who said it was probably just a couple of hours after the Metropolitan Police was formed before someone said, you know, the job's fucked. <laughs> um, and it isn't. The thing is, it isn't. But if, you are, if you're always that person who's moaning and groaning, you will not attract other people around you and you'll not be the person who gets put forward for something. But if you're the person that continually is happy with the mind-numbing stuff and, and even if you're not happy with it, but you get on with it with good grace, people will notice you. Yeah. I've never used that analogy that the job is... Um... Yeah, excuse the language, but... Okay. It was... uh, I've never used that, that, word, that language. Um, to me, the job is a marriage you sign up to the organization just like when you get your wedding ring okay it's a roller coaster ride all right yeah. there's highs there's lows sometimes you love it sometimes you hate it and i've had journeys in you know times in my service where i hated it because i felt so low uh, and i wondered how i was going to get through the next few years and then when i went to hackney for example as a dci there i absolutely loved it you know one of my favorite postings as a the gangs lead at Hackney and implementing the integrated gangs unit over there and working with, you know, some fantastic detectives. But, um, you know, just because sometimes your marriage isn't great doesn't mean to say you go tell other people not to go get married because that's your personal experience. And my personal experiences have been good. They've been bad. But overall, I had a great journey. I was so proud the day I left that I could look back and say, actually, do you know what? There were some down downers there. There were some downtimes there. But overall, my journey has been, you know, good. Uh, and that's because I made sure that it was good. I, I got through the difficult times uh, because it was important for me to, to, to perhaps be successful. You know, I didn't come from an educated background. My parents wanted to get me married off and so on. So I had different things to prove to myself, if you like. That's interesting. That there's a, there's some oh god there's a whole other webinar here about detective skills and things like that. But um, there's something there about you know no one is going to create your most fulfilling career for you. You've got to create that fulfilling career for yourself. Really good point. Yeah, 
don't be sitting there saying, I want this and that. You have to go and get it. Mm. You have to make the effort. I've said this to many, many people, all right? You you have to make your own journey. Don't expect others to. You, others will help you, support you, will guide you, will direct you, will mentor you. But ultimately, you are the one that's got to, to have the credibility to be able to go and do whatever it is that you wanted to do. Detective skills, best job in the world. Best job in the world. I mean, I was a crime squad PC. I remember going into the Flying Scud in Bethnal Green. We were going to raid the pub, and I remember bar diving across the bar to stop someone from throwing some drugs away. And those little moments in my journey are just absolutely spectacular uh, in comparison to some of the other stuff I've done. And they're the things that I hold really close to my heart. Some of the most fun stuff I've done, some of the difficult stuff. You know, I was in West Midlands when two of my colleagues were shot when we were doing an undercover job, a uh, crack cocaine job that went horribly wrong. You know, we were badly treated by West Midlands police over there. But again, you know, some of the stuff I've done there that I'm not allowed to talk about, over, you know, because it's so covert, um, has been awesome. Yeah, it's, it's funny how you um, you find your way eventually. You know, I think I, I, I used to think, you know, I remember working in Special Branch thinking, yeah, I've made it now. SB, fantastic. But then actually the thing that gave me the most fulfillment was being a neighbourhood inspector. And it's just funny how things funny how things work out. You find your way, but you, at least you've got the time to do it. Now, let's see. Oh, uh, oh sorry, my cake find was... Missing a um, a five a.m. spin uh, on my crime squad and turning up at six o'clock when everyone got back to the to the nick by that time. Uh, so that was a serious cake find. Actually, that wasn't even a cake find. There was a place called Nico's in Bethnal Green in Cambridge East Road where you used to go and get breakfast. And I used to buy everybody breakfast. You'd get steak on a plate and chips on a plate, and and that was everybody's treat from me. And it was cheap then back then. Um. Um, I remember that, yes. It's not just, yeah, be warned, folks, it's not just cakes. Um, I've had to do the breakfast bomb um, uh, fine before as an inspector. Um, I, I'm not going to, I may share it another time. <laughs> uh, just very quickly, you talked about when, when you felt you made it. I tell you when I felt I made it, and I've never felt like that since. Mm. It, um, I was, I got my DCs and I went from Bethnal Green to Leytonstone. And I was doing night duty. And it's a bit similar to the superintendent role, I guess. I remember um, there was a, a critical incident and I'd gone down to the scene. Uh, initially, actually, I was with a, a, a male colleague and the inspector thought, um, and the male colleague was my, like, what you call back then your aide. I was the DC night duty. Mm-hmm. And I remember dealing with that and thinking, I've made it. <laughs> I've made it. I'm a detective constable in the Metropolitan <laughs> Police, and I've made it. And that was probably one of my best moments as well. Awesome. I went, you know, there's something about capturing those little moments. Um, the, the things that you'll they'll never go in your PDR or your PDP, whatever you call it. But there's just these little moments in your career that you just think that that was the bit that defined it. That was the um, the bit that was just the awesome part of policing because there's so many of them. All right, let's have a look at some of the questions. Uh, Josh is saying um, he's loving the fact that you openly admit that at times you've been wrong. That's great. Um, uh, Shamila saying uh, your honesty and authenticity, inspiring, great stuff. Uh, let's see what other questions we've got. Uh, da, 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 um, um, 
my goodness, there's so many. Uh, Sandeep is saying, shout out from West Midlands. Um, I love West Midlands. I've been to West Midlands a few times and done some presentations there um, to black and minority officers. Um, got a lot of good stuff going on there, I think, in West Midlands. Um, I'm, I'm liking the Chief Constable Dave Thompson as a sergeant with him years ago. He's, uh, he's, he's doing a good job there, doing a good job. Uh, Jonathan's saying success team, love that. I'm just looking for some other questions. Uh, Nita's saying um, uh, very inspiring. All right, it's just great. There's some great feedback here, uh, Shabnam. It's fantastic. Uh, let's have a look at some other questions. Um, our fans saying our DCC, our fans from North Yorkshire, our Deputy Chief Constable, that'll be Phil Kane you're talking about, I think there, is, yeah. reverse, is receiving reverse mentoring, but is it actually allowing us to implement culture change? as he gets to see a different view from the reverse mentor sessions. I've, I've seen quite a bit of that on, on Twitter and um, from Phil. I've got to say, I've taken a bit more of an interest in North Yorkshire since we moved to North Yorkshire. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it, that's, there can't be many senior officers of that rank who have got that sort of reverse mentoring going on. Um, room for more of that in the service, you think? Yeah, I think so. I, um, I don't know Phil Kane that well, but I, he follows me and I follow him on Twitter and I have to say I, I have a lot of respect for him. He's very honest about some of the issues that they've got and there are not enough senior officers at the higher levels that would, would uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, accept that. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, whatever he's implementing there and doing, I hope it goes, it does, it does go well. You know, like I said, I've been to West Mids a few times um, and presented over there, uh, apart from the last time, the first time back in Birmingham when um, we were shot at, um, that, uh, well, not me, sorry, my colleagues, um, but that in itself, um, great, great force, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, actually, we've just got a message here from Sylvia saying, I'm one of the hosts, along with Phil Kane on Wednesday, doing a week ops chat on diversity and recruitment. You have noticed that on Twitter, there's a, I'll do a shout out for week ops, actually, for those of you, who are on Twitter, if you're not following at We Cops, well worth doing so. Um, and I know Phil is one of the panellists on this Wednesday coming up, um, a We Cops chat on diversity and recruitment. Oh, gosh, there's so much I could talk about there. I'm, I'm not even sure if I want to get involved in that one because the, the adverse impact ratio for recruitment of black, Asian, minority, ethnic candidates in the police service is, I'm sorry to say, it's actually appalling um, I'm not even sure, you know, whether positive action is needed because I don't think there's a, so much a problem of people not wanting to apply or not applying. It's when they do apply and go through the national recruitment process, um, they get failed at a far higher rate. And it's been happening now for several years, several years. And um, yeah. I, 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 do you know, I've, I, I shouldn't get on this soapbox, but I feel for all the people who aspire to be police officers who are being discriminated against. And I'll put that out there. I do believe they're being discriminated against. Any system that has an adverse impact ratio of less than 0.80 consistently year in, year out, and it's sort of buried by the College of Policing, needs to hold its head in shame. And this is what I'm talking about when I talk about, when we talked about institutional racism. And Mm -hmm. there is something to be said about the fact that there is a disproportionate number of officers, that people that are not being accepted into the organisation across the UK. Um, And then when you do the, 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 the homework around it, you see that there's far higher people from the black and minorities. I 
great believer that people come in on merit. Absolutely right. Absolutely. And that. All right, I don't, you know, um, you need to be able to cut the mustard. But the fact is there's something very wrong there if that's happening. You know, you've got a lot of people that are coming from black and minority backgrounds that are highly educated, that have got really good, you know, um, uh, background experience, that have, you know, got something good to offer. And I'm not talking just the fact that they might have a language or they may have the colour of their skin or certain, you know, protected characteristics. Something is not right now. In the same way, it hasn't been right around promotion processes, but they've put changes and processes in place. And I also know that even at the, the, the ground level, there's issues around, you know, being given driving courses and all sorts of, you know, concerns that are being held by sort of officers. And it's really difficult because what that does is it creates a divide. Because mm -hmm. some of the white officers that you work with, they just say, oh, you know, there's preferential treatment of black and minority officers. And it's not like that. You know, and I think that's a very difficult one to 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 get your head around. I think what's important is people have an honest conversation, and they're allowed to say what it is that they feel, and but somebody else to be able to explain to them that these are some of the issues that that that, that have been happening. You know, so lots to be said about that. Yeah, I'm gonna. Do you know? I I I can almost feel myself getting on my soapbox, and I, I don't want to because, but I. I hear the I hear the tears of people who dream of being a police officer, and you know when I've heard the stories, the backstories from some individuals about why they've been failed, I just think there can't be any other reason other than racism existing or sexism existing, but especially in racism. And for for any system, I don't know the exact figures, but I think the day one assessment centre that the Met were were trialing piloting. I think that, that it was something like 40, only something like 42, 43% of black candidates passed versus I think it was about 80% of white candidates. Yeah. No one's, no one's going to try and persuade me that, you know, well, I think the college policing tried to put it on forces saying, you know, the, the, the SIFT isn't, you know, it must be their fault for, for the SIFT. And uh, you can't, when you've got data like that, that's consistent over the years, it's got to be, I'm going to keep calling it out. Anyway, I'm going to have to get myself off my soapbox on that one because I get a bit angry about it on behalf of the people. And um, all right, calm down, Brendan. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Just uh, all right. Well, let's let's move away from that one. So uh, I think we'll have to wrap up soon. Anyway, because I did say I'll oh, be about thirty minutes to forty-five minutes. We've been going now for like an hour and ten minutes. So loads of loads of great comments. Um, Perhaps we, I can use them as a springboard for another session. Um, if you want to do a few more questions, Brendan, I'm more than happy to, to do a few more if you want. Oh, well, great stuff. Well, let's um, actually let's 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 perhaps end on um, you know, uh, it's quite a big question, really, and I think you know, I wonder if, wonder what you feel about this one. So, you know, we often talk about the sort of um, institutionalized issues that might need remed remedying. If you were the commissioner of the Met today, now, <laughs> I know I promoted you on Twitter to chief superintendent, but I'm now going to promote you to the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. What one thing, just one thing, would you change tomorrow morning when you walk through the doors of um, New Scotland Yard? No pressure, hey, Brendan. Um, gosh, this is going to be me being very honest. I expect nothing else. I think the commissioner, if I was going to change one thing, it would be about myself as the commissioner. And that would be to, there's one thing to defend your organisation, 
Mm -hmm. right? But there's another to accept that things need to be better. And if a commissioner is making statements, and I'm not talking about just the Metropolitan Police, that every cop in my organisation is getting it right when you know that's not the case. It's not helping the officers. Mm -hmm. People that suffer, it's to the detriment of the people on the front line. Because the front line won't know if they're getting it wrong because if it's been advocated at the highest levels and then it's having a ripple effect all the way down to the ground level, that is, I think, then commissioners like Phil McCain, for example, Phil McCain, he's put his hands up to policing needs to be better, um, not so much better, but we need to make changes. Mm -hmm. And I think that will help. And I think the, you know, the label of, and this is me speaking as a a person of colour, institutional racism, people need to have that explained. There's a difference. Do not deny that there are people in the organisation that are racist, because there are. But equally, give credit to those officers, the vast majority that do work hard, that come to work to protect the public. So that's how I would... Right, one thing, gosh, that's uh, that's good, I like that. Um, Not sure what the commissioner would think, but... Um, but then again, let's let's balance things out. Then, I suppose. And uh, if you were still, you're still going to be the commissioner for the purpose of this. So, uh, or the chief constable of any force, uh, I suppose. Um, but what one thing do you do you feel that they should keep doing? That they should be proud of. Well, we talk about the stop and search. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what should we be proud of? Oh, gosh. Okay. So let's or, or, or keep doing. You know what? Go through the door tomorrow morning. The first thing you say to your senior command team is the one thing we've got to keep doing is this. What would that? What would that one thing be? We've got to keep serving the public. We've got to protect the public, and we've got to bring offenders to justice. Mm-hmm. That's my personal view. You know, you didn't join the police to go out. You know, and have a party. You join policing to protect the public and part of protecting the public is bringing offenders to justice and giving victims this quality of service that they deserve. You know, would you treat your public the way you would want to be treated? You know, if your, if your mum came home or your brother came home and said that they'd had a really bad experience, that one bad experience has a huge ripple effect on the rest of policing. So that's what I say. You join the police in to catch the bad guys, keep catching the bad guys. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's something I'm proud of the British Police Service for, is that they they do. And police officers, like you said before, they're like, they're like this, like a dog with a bone. I'm not going to let go. You know, I'll keep an open mind and everything. But honestly, I've got to bring this person to justice and I'll let the justice system decide, but I'm going to bring him to justice. And that is a nice moment. Uh, yeah. So let's keep, I suppose, keep, Keep hold of our core mission. Yeah, our core mission there, because I think the subject of another webinar, I suppose, is a uh, you know uh, Dave Thompson published something in the Reform Think Tank uh, just last week about the the role of the police post pandemic. What what does it need to be? This is a massive debate that needs to be had because the police just being all things to all people cannot be can't it can't continue. Uh, but be proud of the core mission. Who else has a power of arrest that can bring people to justice? who have hurt members of our community yeah, is an awesome mission to have, I think. What's yeah. that one card in your pocket? Awesome mission to have, no matter what rank you are, no matter where you are. Um, yeah, I like that. 
that one thing, lovely. I just finish off from from my perspective. Um, my policing journey um, was like a roller coaster ride. I loved it. Um, I would say to people, when you have your highs, live with the highs. When you've got your lows, find somebody that can help support you. And for me, the one thing I would say is don't ever, ever give up. Whether you've got the dream to become a police officer, don't give up. I didn't, and I got there. And once you become a police officer, um, you know, fulfil your dream, but, you know, do it with pride and with professionalism and, and enjoy you know, your seventy percent of your life is at work. Enjoy it and stop moaning. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to end. I think a good place to end. Well, what can I say, um, uh, Shabnam? It's been an absolute privilege, and it's been it's been fab having you on board this webinar. Um, I hope for everyone that you'll agree with me that it's just been a, a, an awesome hour or so. Um, thank you so much for your insights into your service, for the messages that you give to others, um, for the privilege of having the conversation with you. And uh, Thanks to you all. And I'm sure that even, you know, I'm sure I've got some critics out there and I hope that, you know, that I've inspired different people in different ways. Um, don't give up on your dreams. Brilliant. And I'm seeing loads of thanks here. Oh, my goodness, the, the chat function's just just gone crazy with thank yous and inspirational and... Um, yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do to save the chat uh, file for you and uh, send it over to you if that's okay, Shabnam. And uh, uh, just, yeah, oh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to let it roll actually because there's some great, great feedback coming in here. Um, uh, Lauren is saying, we love you both. <laughs> Thank oh. you both. Um, fabulous. Um, it's been amazing. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Uh, thanks, Shabnam. You're a brilliant, great webinar. Um, oh my goodness we, we should let's do more at some point let's do something else I, do you know what I'm thinking now I'd love to get um, some themed webinars maybe a little panel of um, ace detectives some of the country's ace detectives to help inspire the next generation of detectives how about that would you would you be up for that one definitely, definitely. Right, I'm definitely up for that and um, you know um, yeah thank you to everybody that's uh, joined up today um, and I hope that you've got something out of it great stuff and uh, well I shall see you soon then Shabnam at the next one and uh, thank you everyone for joining us this evening um, I you know and there will be a, a replay available for you at some point in the future uh, you may hear some some messages from us um, in respect of here's the replay you know emails uh, I want to make sure that you, uh, if you just joined us late or whatever, or, or if you didn't join us at all and you're watching us on the replay, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and uh, let, let's end on this. Rachel saying good night all. Good night, Shabnam. Good night, everyone else. I shall see you all soon. Um, stay safe, look after each other, and uh, catch up with you soon. Bye-bye for now. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed that webinar, the recording of the webinar. Wasn't Shabnam awesome i hope to get her back on another podcast webinar at some point in the future because she's got so much that she could share with us in terms of her journey as a detective her thoughts on racism within the police her thoughts on recruitment and inspiring the next generation there's so much she's got to offer but not just shabnam so 
Stand by for more podcasts and more webinars with other thought leaders within the police sector. I've got quite a few really exciting ones lined up. So watch this space. So I hope to see you, not see you, I hope to hear from you. Uh, Always drop me a line and let me know what you think about this podcast. And if you've got any ideas about future podcasts, please do let me know and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye for now.